knock it off. Just kidding. <laughs> Y'all are so excited. Isn't that exciting? That's so great. Good morning, church. Uh, we are in our second week of our series on the nature of the Bible. And first, let me just say, hey, kids, welcome. If you're in elementary school and you're with us this morning, we are so glad that you're here. I want you to take your thinking cap and put it on for just a minute because following along, we're going to be talking about something really important today, and that's the nature of God's Word. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to be dealing with that in just a second. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, so if you want to turn over there, uh, you can do 2 Peter, but I'm also going to be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, and so just those are our two texts for today. I'll be there in just a second. Um, but on Sunday, May the 28th, uh, in a few weeks, Bannockburn will be 50 years old. And we are going to celebrate, in an obvious way, barbecue. All right? <laughs> Our deacons are going to be doing their, their barbecue on that day. We're planning some other things to be special on that day. But the cool thing is, is that, and I didn't really line this up, so thank you, Lord, for accidentally being awesome. Uh, but we start a new series on that day that actually talks about not forgetting the past but as you are moving forward into the place God has for you, making sure you're staying true to the things that God has done in your past and as you move forward in your future, it's an amazing text. And we're going to be studying the book of Deuteronomy. And it starts on that day. And uh, I, I thought that was just awesome. Thank you, Lord, for that. Um, and so we're going to be talking about that. That's going to be the theme of that Sunday. We're going to start a series that will get us into summer. Uh, it'll actually take us in well into summer in our summer series. The book of Deuteronomy, it's like, uh, you know, dads get their kids on that bike for the first time without the training wheels, and you go for a little while with them, and then you go, all right, I'm going to let go. Now remember this, remember this, I'm going to let go. That, that, is, that is Moses, and that's Deuteronomy. Israel, I'm about to let go of you. I can't go with you. I'm going to let go of you. I'm going to let go. Like, and, and here's what you need to do, and here's what you need to know, and that's Deuteronomy right there. Uh, and so we're going to be talking about that and beginning that series on May 28th. It'll be a fantastic journey. Invite a friend. It'll be a great day of celebration. Memorial Day weekend, all kinds of things. May 28th will be a very exciting day. So I hope you plan on being there. We are in our second week um, of our series, How to Read the Bible. And I hope last week you saw um, we're not just talking about reopen it and start reading, right? Uh, this is not that simple. Uh, there's the whole way we approach the Bible and how we're to relate to the Bible. We're talking about principles that can make you or break you regarding your relationship with the Word of God. Um, we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about that next week particularly. Let me give you a four-week breakdown. And the reason why we have a four-week breakdown is because this is a two-hour sermon. All right? It's a two-hour sermon. And for your sake, to get you to lunch on time and for me to keep my job, we broke it into 30-minute chunks each week. And so what we want you to know with that is that you can't really miss a week um, because the two weeks, uh, I mean, the, the, the four weeks comprises one talk that gives you the fullness of what you need from this particular study. And so please, if you miss a week, please go online and catch up because uh, it's really important that we as a church embrace this series and, re, and it, maybe it's returning to a commitment to an understanding and a relationship with the Word of God. Maybe it's for the first time you're coming into this and you're learning and you're growing in it and it's finding its way into your heart and rooting you in the right things. Um, but either way, 
Um, and maybe you are currently walking in the Word, and you know these things. It's just a good reminder. All of these things are good, but we need, uh, if you miss a week, please uh, make sure that you catch up. Let me give you a four-week breakdown. We talked last week about the focus of the Bible. Everything from Genesis to Revelation is either pointing to Jesus as an antecedent. Jesus is giving us himself and revelation of who he is. Or it's an outflow of teaching of what now? Now that Jesus is Lord. But everything finds its culmination in the revelation of God in his son, Jesus Christ. The highest amount of revelation God's going to give to humanity. Um, how much of God will he allow us to know? Everything he wants us to know and everything we need to know and everything that he has revealed about himself is fully and finally given to us in the person of his son. The revelation of God, the light of God, the light dimmer switch has been all the way up. It's all the way up in Jesus. And guess where you find Jesus? Right here. We must have a relationship with God's word, but the focus of God's word is that we can relate to the God who made us in his son, Jesus Christ, in his word. That's, work, that's week one. That was last week. Today we're going to talk about the authority of the Bible. We need to build that. And then we'll move into next week, the interpretation of the Bible. How do you understand what God is saying here? How do we unpack it? How do we interpret it accurately and not get it wrong a lot? Uh, we're going to talk about that next week. And then lastly, the power of the Bible. The effects of the Bible in our heart, the effects of the Bible in our lives, in our relationships, in our society, in our government, in our world, in our nation. The effects of the Bible, its power and effects in the world, what it claims and what, what it actually does. So the power of the Bible. This morning I'm going to read from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 to 21, and then from 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. You don't have to uh, switch over there. You can just follow on the screen. We'll have it available for you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we pause, and uh, Lord, this isn't just any text. This is your very word. Lord, would you, by your spirit, 
bring understanding and light to our hearts, to our lives, to our world as we meditate upon it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Plato, kids not Plato, Plato, P-L-A-T-O, was an ancient Greek philosopher. And he had a quote in one of his writings that said, said this. He said, uh, it is our duty to do one of two things. Either to ascertain the facts, whether by seeking instruction or by personal discovery, or, if this is impossible, to select the best and most dependable theory which human intelligence can supply and use it as a raft to ride the seas of life. That is, assuming that we cannot make our journey with greater confidence and security by the surer means of a divine revelation. In other words, how do we navigate life effectively? How do we know who we are? How do we learn everything we need to know to live the best possible life we can possibly live? Well, he says you got two options unless there's a third one. He says, first of all, figure it out on your own. Like work hard, figure out life, figure out what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is real, what is not, and figure it out on your own and, 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 fig, and just go. Um, but the other thing you can do, he said, if that's impossible, which we all know it is, if that's impossible, then the other thing you need to do is to assemble all the teaching out there of lots of smart people that have lived and they've tried to figure it out too, and you need to lean on their expertise and find out what they say about things to, to help you, and you cling to that like a raft across a stormy sea, because it, it's better than you swimming alone. At least you got a raft of some sort, whether you make it or not, you don't know, but it's better than you. Just what he says. But then he says, oh, but that's assuming. You, you use that approach. That's assuming, though, that you don't have the one who made all things to declare what is true and right and good, to tell you who you are, to tell you what the world really is supposed to be and how to live your life. Now, if, and obviously the assumption is, is that if you have the divine breaking through and telling you what you need to know, then that's your answer. That's your answer. You, you would trump all other pursuits to know that and let that be your guide. It is secure. It is safe. It is absolute. It is omniscient. Uh, you would cling to that with everything because it trumps everything else. There's, a, there's, there's no need in living life um, having to learn by uh, trial and error. You can go straight to the truth when God speaks. Peter says in his text, uh, and also Paul, these two texts really build for us some doctrines that establish us in uh, principles regarding the Word of God. And Peter says, prophets, God broke through the chasm, God spoke, and God spoke through men that he carried along. And Peter says, let's be careful, they did not make this stuff up. 
there is a divine nature to the things these men said, and it, that actually can be verified. And you say, how do you verify whether something has divine nature or not? That's in the extra additional resources on our website for this series. You need to go research that. It's awesome. I ain't got time for it this morning. I'm going to give you the bottom line. Basically, he said that they didn't make this stuff up, and we can know they didn't. But here's what you do know, that God spoke through these men he carried them along used their personality the context in which they were in all of the things but God was carrying them and speaking his word to humanity through them in these occurrences there's divine word coming through these men this is what Peter says Paul says the scriptures and he would be referring to the Old Testament he would be referring to Jesus he would be referring to the truth of God's word as a whole. But Paul says they were breathed out by God. In other words, the nature of the text of Holy Scripture is that God supernaturally breathed through prophets his word and it was put down into a record as the very word of God. So these are the verses that we use as a basis for some doctrines concerning the importance of Scripture and things we need to really hold to because having a flimsy commitment to these kinds of things will really end us, end us up in a world of hurt. Very important that we hold some of these things. And for a couple of things that we get. And number one, the doctrine that I want to talk to you about is inspiration. I'm going to give you the bottom line summary. There's a long process to get there. Maybe you have questions. I know. I had them too. We all did. But the summary is you'll get here. Just go do the study. It's in additional resources on our website. But the doctrine of inspiration says that God breathes his word through prophets. That God put this word into place by his own breath. He spoke it. He did it. It doesn't contain God's word. It is God's word. Um, and so when we're talking about the canon of Scripture, the collection, collection of writings pulled into holy and considered holy writ, all of it divinely breathed, God's very breath to humanity. But secondly, out of the overflow of inspiration, the fact that this is God's word, we come to the doctrine of inerrancy. And if God has breathed out his word through prophets and apostles then what God has breathed out, a God who cannot lie, nor a God who can error, has spoken an inerrant word. The Bible is entirely true. And let me just add, in the original manuscripts. And you're like, what do you mean by that? Well, it's really important uh, that it's a detail, but it's also in additional resources. Go look it up. But in the original manuscripts. In other words, the moment when God spoke through this prophet and the prophet is either writing it down or proclaiming it wherever it is that that is the inerrant word of God whatever copies are made whatever translations are made all of that we're not considering totally to be inerrant because there are errors that can happen with copying and all kinds of things like that and so don't I want to get in that but I will say what you have in your hand the word of God in the original manuscripts is inerrant so the question becomes, how do we know the Bible we have is the original when we don't have the original documents? Well, now you're asking a question about the reliability of Scripture. 
Next word. Reliability. There we go. Now you're talking about how do we know if it's in the original manuscripts that in the English version, which God did not speak English to the Old Testament prophets, we had to actually translate it. And when you translate, you lose some things and, you know, some things are lost in translation. And when you make copies, copies are made and people make mistakes and they don't cross the T and they didn't dot the I or they used a different word that sounded like the one or whatever it might be. When you have those types of things and all of us are relying on copies and you don't have the original manuscripts, how do you know that you actually have the stuff? Well, that's called the reliability of scripture. And let me give you the bottom line, 99.9% of all the text of scripture completely aligns it is actually incredibly reliable when you come to uh, just studying the preservation of the word and its accuracy throughout thousands of years Um, it is incredibly reliable and all of that is given to you in incredible detail in additional resources and I grieve deeply to leave it out but we have kids in the room so we need to uh, leave that to you parents to take your kids through that but reliability the bottom line is we can know with absolute confidence we have 99 percent of our bible and the one percent of the one percent that is kind of questionable on what whether we have it or not is in insignificant areas it doesn't change any major doctrines and uh, you can look all of that up in additional resources are you with me did y'all drink your coffee are y'all good y'all awake y'all with me okay so what you'll find is that when you investigate the word of god there is a supernatural preservation to the Bible. It just has this dynamic. And I mean, I'm going to give you one of the prime examples of the nature of uh, the reliability of God's Word being its supernatural preservation, the way it's been preserved. Uh, one of those factors is really popular. Uh, an, a man named Voltaire, who was an atheist French philosopher, he lived in the 18th century. And he was uh, very expressive in his anti-Christian positions. And actually, uh, it would have really satisfied him greatly to see the demise of Christianity and the Word of God all to go away completely. Uh, he was actually work, give his whole life to that. And if you want a taste of that, I'm going to give you a couple of quotes. Let's see how much you can stomach. All right, here we go. The first one, uh, he said this, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible on earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curious curiosity seeker he said that in the 1700s but next he said the bible that is what fools have written what imbeciles commend what rogues teach and young children are made to learn by heart okay i'm gonna keep going y'all keep keep stomaching it right he says uh we are living in the twilight of christianity in other words it's all coming to an end and he was celebrating that Then he said, Christianity is the most ridiculous, the most absurd and bloody religion that has ever infected the world. My one regret in dying is that I cannot aid you in this noble enterprise of extirpating the world of this infamous superstition. Then he said, what folly, what misery, what puerile and odious things they contain. And the Bible is filled with contradictions, follies, and horrors. Uh, Lastly, if you hadn't had enough yet. To invent all those things in the Bible, the last degree of rascality, to believe them, the extreme of brutal stupidity. Okay. So, obviously, you kind of know his position, and you kind of want to say, hey, tell us what you really think, right? Uh, well, at least he actually said it. At least, as many won't say it for whatever consequence they might face, but at least he, he said it. But 
history records an amazing thing that took place, and it's an incredible irony here. Um, 16 years after Voltaire's death in 1794, the printing press that he used to promote this, act, this work that he was doing and the writings that he was doing, um, the printing press started just kind of running out of money and the business wasn't good. And that printing press had to switch to a more profitable business plan and started printing Bibles. The actual printing press that he was using in his town in France started printing Bibles for just economic reasons uh, 16 years after uh, his death. But then 58 years after his death, another ironic thing took place. Uh, his own home, now, um, his own home was purchased by a man named Colonel Henry Tronchin. I think it's Tronchin is the way you pronounce that. Um, Henry was not a believer. He didn't have believing family. Uh, in fact, uh, he, uh, in fact, his family actually knew Voltaire and actually supported and, and contributed financial things to uh, Voltaire's work. Um, and so they were, they were all close together in this small town in France. And, and, and so it ended up that Henry Tronchin ended up actually living in Voltaire's house. It wouldn't have been unusual. Uh, it, they're all packed in together there. And so, you know, anytime homes are available and things like that get shipped around. But he ends up living in Voltaire's home. But he, he became a Christian. And he ends up being, uh, later on, uh, president of the Evangelical Society of Geneva, and he happens to be living in Voltaire's home, and he's the president of a society that is, that is uh, based on spreading the Bible to as many people as possible. And an organization was spreading the Bible, so they bought 10,000 copies of the French Bible to hand out to the French people, and they needed a place to store 10,000 copies of the French Bible, and guess who volunteered to store them in his home? The president of the institution, which normally will find your house, but what house does he happen to live in? Voltaire's house, where he actually wrote all of this stuff, saying the Bible's coming to an end, and here it is packed with Bibles, French Bibles, for them to pass out, for this organization to pass out Bibles to all of France. Um, irony? Coincidence? Uh, I think not. I think it's another testimony that took years, but it's the Lord saying, uh, my word is my word. And a lot of hammers have been worn out trying to end the Bible. There is a miraculous supernatural preservation of the Bible that cannot be explained. It has uh, a preservation unlike any other piece of literature in all of world history. Uh, and you go on uh, actually the additional resources there. We actually have a diagram that you can see lots of really popular works and how it compares to the reliability and the preservation of the scripture of te uh, the, the text of scripture, um, which is mind blowing to see uh, see that. So go there and do that. But this leads us to the next doctrine. So the conclusion is the Bible from an epistemological standpoint, is highly reliable. From a spiritual standpoint, it is the very word of God to humanity. It is God's word. It is proven. But that leads us to the next doctrine. And if it is God's word, then there's this word called authority. That the Bible has authority. The Bible itself claims to be the word of God. 
and it claims to have, therefore, the authority of God when it comes to what is right and true and good. Okay, so take, go back with me last week. Who's the final revelation of God to humanity? Jesus. Whatever Jesus says uh, goes. It is law. So if he is the final authority, he claimed that authority. Um, what did he claim as authoritative? Well, Jesus said things like this. It is written. You remember when he said it is written? He's being tempted by the devil. And Jesus said, it is written. And why would he say it is written? Why doesn't he just say, I say, for you and me, to know the Old Testament is the very word of God. So the authority of Jesus, he is saying, is the Old Testament. The Old Testament, in some ways, is an antecedent, in every way, is an antecedent to Jesus. In other words, you can't really see Jesus fully uh, without the antecedent, without being able to pre- be prepared and see him in every aspect of the Old Testament. And then there's many ways you can't understand the Old Testament without understanding the final uh, product of the Old Testament, of him coming and fulfilling all of it. You really can't understand it until you see Jesus. Okay, so it all works together. Old Testament authority. We got that secured? The Old Testament. And I would go one step further. Sorry for getting technical. The Septuagint is authoritative, Word of God. Jesus quoted the Greek-Hebrew Bible, the Septuagint. They translated the the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek, and Jesus quoted that Septuagint. We would consider that to be the authoritative Word of God. Because why? Jesus is the authority, and he quoted the Greek version. So we consider that to be authoritative. Jesus said, have you not read with the religious leaders? Have you not read? What was he doing? He's referring to authority. The authority of God's Word. The Old Testament is God put together. Jesus says the nature of the text of Scripture is God has spoken, and it is never wrong. We align everything to it, not it to us. Got it? Okay, so Jesus is saying this type of authority. Now, what did Jesus write? And I know he wrote the whole Bible, but get with me here. What did he write in his earthly ministry? He didn't. He spoke and he taught and he left authority of witnessing about him and what he said and what he taught. He left that authority in the hands of men called the apostles. Okay, y'all with me? We were talking about authority. Who has the final say? He gave that to the apostles. The apostles carried this authority and they went and proclaimed Jesus. Peter says, why did he give us this authority? We were eyewitnesses. I saw him, I heard him, I walked with him, and I was an eyewitness of him, and now he's given me authority to proclaim him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the apostles were given the authority to lay down doctrines for the church. In other words, the apostles were given the authority of Jesus to say, this is what is right and true and good on the earth. This is God's very word. Therefore... Look at, look at this. In Acts 2.42, the church, and it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine or teaching. You know, we like to say that the early church didn't have a Bible. I've heard that said many times, and that's true in one sense. But what did they have? They had the Old Testament, which Jesus says was authoritative, but they also had the apostles there, <laughs> 
the authority of the apostles and the teaching of the apostles. They had them right there. Um, and the authority of the apostles and the teaching of the apostles was there for them. That was their Bible. And so, when the apostles martyred and died off of the scene, who got that authority next? Not a man. Not a man. That authority came right here. We also, with the church in Acts, devote ourselves to the apostles' doctrine as a family of God. This is our authority. What it says goes. So, to make this quick, the, the apostles' doctrine, the authority of the Bible, God says this is the authority in our lives. This means to disbelieve, to disobey the Bible, is to disbelieve, disobey God. It means to obey the Bible is to obey God. It means to enter the pathway of knowing and understanding the Bible is to grow and understand God. Quick question. Is the Bible claiming, uh, when the Bible claims to be the authority, is that circular reasoning? The answer is yes, it is. But when you're trying to get into a, an authoritative claim, there's no escaping a circular reasoning. Let me explain. First of all, you can't have a discussion about authority and not eventually be circular in your reasoning because you're, very, you're claiming your authority. But let me go back real quick. Um, when you are saying you are the authority, that doesn't discount truth. You can claim that you are authority and you can actually be the authority. So just circular reason itself doesn't mean it's not right, it's not true. So circular reasoning is just a, a way of saying I'm claiming authority and I actually do have that authority and that can be verified. But it doesn't mean I'm not just because I'm using circular reasoning. So circular reasoning doesn't mean it's either true or it's not. Or you, can, you say it's not true because it's circular reasoning. That doesn't make sense either. However, if you're going to have a discussion about authority, eventually you're going to get into circular reasoning anyway. For example, let me just say this. We say the Bible is the transcendent, universal, absolute authority on truth. That's what we say. Someone comes along and says, no, nah, there is no universal, transcendent, absolute truth. Well, in that moment, we have to decide who's the authority. Is this person that's saying there's none? Are they the authority? Or is the Bible claiming its authority the authority? And we have to go, okay, well, I guess you're the authority. Right? So who, who's the authority? Who determines what this is? Um, and then they would say, let's just assume, they, they just say, well, we know God doesn't exist. We know uh, that there is no authoritative, there's no truth, there's no ultimate truth, transcendent, absolute truth. Um, therefore, there's no authority. And then you say, how do you know that? How do you know that? And then they would say, well, it's kind of obvious, and I guess from my intellect. Well, what you would basically say is, well, then that's circular reasoning. So you're using circular reasoning pretty much any time you're claiming authority. So if a person claims authority, circular reasoning is going to be involved. And I know some of y'all are like, where was that? Some of y'all caught it. That's okay. We can move on. All right. But all arguments regarding truth and the authority of truth end up being circular in nature. If the Bible is God's revelation, and it is, then it must claim to have divine authority because it is. But if it does, then it is the authority. 
Church, the Bible claims to be the final authority on earth. Now let me ask you this. What do we mean by authority? Let me wrap this up right here. Suppose you're sitting at a red light and um, all of a sudden some car behind you just plows into your car, right? And boom, and you get yourself together and you get out of the car and you go to, to see if anybody's okay. And the other person got out of their car and the first thing out of their mouth to you is, why did you back into my car? So let's just say that happens, right? Um, At that moment that they say that, you say, boy, in a moment like this, in a moment like this, I need to have a worldview that believes that the place of authority needs to exist in this world. Because right now, I need a transcendent authority to enter this situation to determine what is right. Because without any authority... The way we will have to settle this is we're going to duke it out right here in the street. And whoever wins buys the other person a new car. So I just gave you a crazy, weird example. But what I want you to hear is the conclusion. That is, when you have taken away authority, power rules. If you live in a society where there are no police you can call, there is no higher transcendent authority, respected or considered. And there's an incident. It's who's the bigger person. And whoever dominates who is the authority. Power becomes the authority. We live in a society that has said There is no universal, absolute, transcendent truth. There is no universal, absolute, transcendent authority. All authority at that point becomes really, ultimately, it takes many generations perhaps to to play out. When that happens, you've basically said power is the authority, not right power. Some of y'all were ball fields yesterday? Maybe? Baseball fields? How many of you have ever been to a baseball field? Let me see if I can wake you up. All right, good. Some of y'all are checked out totally. You know, you, your son hits the ball on the ground and he runs to first and you know good and well he beat the ball to the bag. You know that, right? Why? Because he's your son. And (laughs) The reason why he won is because he's the best, right? And then this whole other crowd over there all says they're so glad that he's out. He didn't beat the ball to the thing. And this crowd over here says he's safe. And that whole crowd says he's out. And then what happens if there's no authority? All right? We're meeting in the parking lot to determine whether... He was safe or out. That's how, and that is where I grew up. That's the baseball I played. What do you do in a world that doesn't acknowledge authority? You think 
a world that says there's no authority over me, I'm my own authority, you think that's a happy place. But let me tell you, it's hell. It is a hell. Because there's something in us that we don't like authority. We don't really want authority in our life. We want to be our own authority. And yet at the same time, the way to the most destructive society is that very sense. That very feeling. That very thought will destroy our society. In a world where there's no transcendent, absolute, universal truth and thus authority, the end of that pathway is power rules and that is barbarism the question each person has to ask in your life and the bible forces this question upon you will i be my own authority in life or will i submit and yield to the one that claims authority over all the earth that ultimately is where you end that's the question that's left to answer. I heard a story once about our Navy many, many years ago before technology. They were having tactical training maneuvers, and it was very foggy and very late in the day, almost night, and getting dark. And the uh, captain is leading his ship, and the scout says, light dead ahead. And the captain says, is it, is it steady or moving? And he says, it's steady. That means it's on course. We're in a collision collision course. So the captain says, send the message. He says, this is a captain from the U.S. Navy. We are on a collision course. Turn 20 degrees to the north. The response comes back from the light. says, you turn 20, you turn 20 degrees to the north. He doesn't like that response, so he sends back another message. He says, I'm a U.S. Navy captain. Turn to the north. The response comes back, I'm a seaman first class. You turn to the north. He goes, I'm a Navy battleship. I'm not changing course. And the response comes back says, I'm a lighthouse. Your call. <laughs> Who's the authority? You see, you can want to be your own authority, but there's only one. There's only one authority, and that's the Word of God. We live in a society church where today, right now, it is more imperative than ever that we be a people of the book. Authority is being shredded. It is going away. Eventually, it will get there and we will enter back into a very chaotic, a chaotic situation for society. So I have to ask you, if, if you want to get rid of all authority, and you want to get rid of God, and you want to get rid of all the, the Word of God, and you want to get rid of the authority that God claims on the earth, and you want to get rid of all of that, will you actually want to live in the society that will create? And therefore, if you, if you don't want to live in that society, which you know it's a hell, you know it is for humanity, because it's oppressive cruelty all back over again. All back over again. You, want, you don't want to live in that society, and you know it. And if that doesn't create a society that you actually would want to live in, how right is it? How according to reality is that view? Because it doesn't work. It's just one argument among many of where are we going. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine 
and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Safety, strength, security, wholeness, withstands things, lasts. These are all the words that come to mind. Listen, Jesus claimed final authority in this text. He says, my word goes. I am the lighthouse. Ships, you can come and go as you please. You go against me, you dash yourself on the rocks. Jesus is claiming that very thing in this text. And then he goes on, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Don't think for a second our society will not crash and burn because it denies the authority of God. And it might take a few generations to get there. People who say, yeah, yeah, I believe God doesn't exist, but I don't want to actually live it out and take it to its logical conclusions. I actually want to stay under the safety of the nice kind of society that we have where there's actually authority. It's temporary. It's propped up. Jesus said, you treat my words like good suggestions. You treat my words like they aren't true. You treat my words as if they're just another opinion. And you'll find yourself dashed upon the rocks. And then look, their reaction to it. Matthew 7, 28 and 29, he says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why? Here's why. For he was teaching them as one who had authority. In other words, he was saying, the buck stops with me for everyone. He claimed to be the final authority of all truth. He claimed to be truth himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is found right here. Church, may we be a people of the book in our hearts, in our lives, and in our world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, a sure place for, for strong footing, a solid foundation to build a life. doesn't ebb and flow and go with the winds of change. It's supernaturally preserved, miraculously steady and undeterred. Lord, let us walk with you in it. We'll find that place. And Lord, may your church engage a society today that is denying everything that's propping them up. Denying everything that is creating a society that they enjoy. Our society is eating itself. And Lord, in a world like that, make us strong and firm and solid, unmoved. Lord, let us be committed to the authority of your word. Lord, let us answer the question of who's the authority in our life us or you, Lord, let it be you. Give us the power and the strength to yield where we need to yield, where we have taken up our own authority 
and contradicted your word in our lives. Lord, help us repent and align ourselves with you and find life. Lord, strengthen your church across our whole land that we would be a people who align with the authority of God. And Lord, we know that any society that aligns with your word is eventually is going to find peace and strength, flourishing, prosperity. Lord, would you speak to us this morning personally in our own hearts, our lives, our relationships? And talk to us about authority. And where, where is our commitments to authority? And Lord, if they're off, Help them to shift entirely to you so that we would find life. And Lord, we just ask this in Jesus' name.